right, we are set. Uh, Chris Newberry, thanks for coming. Sure, thanks for having me. Um, as I think you know, um, guest guest dedicated the beginning. So, what would you like to dedicate the episode to? If you have one in mind. Yeah, um, I guess I would like to uh, dedicate the this a- episode to um, all my collaborators who have uh, worked so hard. Uh, some of them for very little pay or no pay. <laughs> um, that happens when you do independent. Yeah, yeah. So that that seems appropriate. Wonderful. We are back on the St. Paul Filmcast with Chris Newberry. How you doing? Great, thank have you, you. Have you podcast before? Um, I don't think so. I've okay. done radio, but I... Oh, you have done radio? Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't think I've ever done... I can't think of... Yeah, I yeah. don't think so. Do you remember when the last time you were on... What radio station? Do you remember what radio station? Well, uh, you know, we've been... Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it today, yeah. but uh, we, we've been on sort of a fundraising tour uh, throughout the region for, right, that's for my project. Primary why you were here, too, is talk about the fundraising project, yeah. Yeah, and um, and so uh, we had a, a publicist uh, helping us get the word out, yeah. and uh, she ended up booking me on several uh, radio shows in several cities around the region and uh and that spawned other invitations so i just and and there was a lot of television too so (laughs) i was uh and a lot of it was live you know a lot of the radio is live and some of the television was live so i had to get i had to get used to uh being being on point and getting (laughs) to the point and right because it's not not like podcast podcast we can work up to you know take our time but radio they want it right then and there and tell us and quickly and fast and give me the pitch and get out right yeah, <laughs> yeah. in fact one one uh radio program i was on in fargo just a few weeks back mm-hmm. i was pleasantly surprised that the host you know we had a nice little conversation for a couple of minutes and then he said yeah. well we're gonna go to go go to a break and we'll be right back and talk to chris newberry some more and that, I mean, yeah. oh, oh wow! I get two. <laughs> you get two more minutes. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> I'll give you a little more time than that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, this so, is great. So, I mean, the fundraising campaign. Um, let's get started because that's primary why you're here. Um, so, what are what's the uh, what's the what's the campaigning for? Yeah, that's how you and I got got connected. Is because yeah. we've been getting we've been going pretty public with this project because we're trying to raise some money. Yeah, so I can totally give you some background on on all that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the, the project first, the film project. I, yeah. so I am a documentary filmmaker and I'm, uh, for the last almost four years now, I've been working on this passion project, which is the, uh, documentary about the Jacob Wetterling story. And, uh, for anybody, yeah. uh, anybody in Minnesota and, and, or, you know, in the region, right? Pretty much in the surrounding states too. Yeah, yeah and in this part of the country, uh, that name usually means something. But you know, some of your uh, listeners may not be familiar with the story, so I'll give a little bit of background. Uh, Jacob Wetterling was an 11-year-old kid in central Minnesota. Yeah, uh, is a small town of St. Joseph. In 1989, he was abducted, 
and uh, and never heard from again. And I believe it was the fall. Like right, school just kind of already is just kind of getting started and everything. Yep. It was October twenty second, right? Yeah, nineteen eighty nine, and uh, so it was really kind of this haunting story for decades. Uh, yeah. You know, we it got a lot of news coverage because of sort of how scary the story was. Uh, there were witnesses that saw, uh, you know, yeah. Jacob's brother and his best friend had they'd gone out after dark. Uh, gone up to the video store. I think to it was like a, like a like a like a like a grocery a, a mart store that has like groceries and all that video games and all that stuff for rental and everything. It was like yes. a little, little mom apart store. A Tom Thumb, yeah, like I that. Think there's yeah. still Tom Thumbs out there somewhere, but uh, that was pretty. They were all over the place back then, and yeah. um, and yes, they, it was a convenience store, but it, they would rent movies on VHS. Yeah. And uh, and I used to do that. I used to ride my bike up to the. the oh gosh, stuff. yeah. I think we're the same age as kids. You just you get the urge and like let's just go get you know let's go get some and rent them. Yeah. yeah Nobody said a, anything about it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was totally like just part of our childhood, and um, so that's what Jacob was doing that night. Um, this this guy jumped out of the bushes and went while they were riding their bike home. Uh, he was he was wearing a black nylon over his head as a mask, um, and had a gun. And he uh, asked the three boys to lay down in the ditch. Yes, I remember this right. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. And he um, and he asked uh, their ages, and he chose Jacob. And he told the other two boys to run away, and threatened to he would shoot them if they didn't run. And yeah, one of them was Jacob's younger brother, I believe, and the other right. one was their best friend. You got it. Yeah. And so that was what happened that night. Um, it and then of course, uh, it it caught on as a as a news story, and it actually sort of the, the the case and sort of the story of whatever happened to Jacob, sort of took on this form of like a cultural phenomenon. You know, they right. it um, it was right. You know, as we were talking earlier about you know that was our childhood. Um, it's that's you know the idea of the kids riding their bikes around the neighborhood unsupervised. Now in a lot of neighborhoods, most neighborhoods here in in North America yeah. now, that's like really hard to fathom for parents <laughs> yeah, to, yes. to let their kids do that. And so that Jacob's kidnapping sort of occurred during this cultural shift in in how uh, parents approach parenting. Yeah. And uh, so so J- for for us in this part of the country, Jacob's story and his like face, you know, his school photo that was all over the news. This is the kid that's missing. Look yeah. for this kid. That his photo is uh, is is sort of seared in a lot of our brains. That picture of that smiling picture of that kid with, I mean, and his. Uh, I believe that part of the reason it the story caught on so much is is that like the is Jacob's face. He he just has this like yeah. innocent, bright, magnetic smile, and um, and so all these things converged to make this a big sort of media phenomenon for decades. Um, I was interested in it all, all along. Um, I was. I remember. I was just just uh, about three years older than Jacob. Okay, and he and he was a little bit. I think he was a year older than I was. So we're, we're really close. Yeah. Because I was twelve years old at that time, and he was eleven. Yep. Yeah, and so we're really close proximity. So he yep. probably, if he was still around, would be like our age. He just had his fortieth birthday. Just or was it his forty first? It would have been forty first. Is this year right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. his birthday's in February. So I remember. Yeah, we marked that occasion. So a lot of people who are probably our age, you know, in the 40s or even late 30s, 
really crowd onto this and understand the gravity and the magnitude of this story, especially right. from Minnesota. Right, and the generation uh, sort of ahead of us, the all our the people in our parents' generation, yeah. they also have like this connection to the story because for a lot of them, I mean, and I hear since I've been working on this project and talking about it, I hear from people all the time that they say, "Oh my God." When I, I remember when that happened and, and, you know, just the way I approached my parenting, my child, I remember my child was 10 right. at the time or there was, I remember slight hesitations because I remember even after that, you know, I want to go ride my bike to my friend's house my, and there was like my mom, eh, you know, it was, that was the natural instinct. It was such an impact. Um, personally, one of the things I remember when I was a kid is after the, uh, he went missing is hockey started in Minnesota. And so, because it happened in October, and still, we're in December, nobody still doesn't know. So there's like this wide, because everybody knew he played hockey. Right. And a lot of these um, booster clubs and associations try to pitch in um, money. And as a way of knowing that you contributed, you got a sticker of his favorite number, which is 11. Right. And so a lot of these kids who are my age or younger, who played hockey, youth hockey, would have their sticker in the back of the helmet, number 11, and it'll say JW. Yeah, and it is maybe the season started off five. By the end of the hockey season, I think everybody had that sticker on their helmet. Yeah, it was pretty. It was, and that's kind of sad because the entire season of that eighty-nine hockey season, it was always in the back of people's mind. It was Jacob because everybody knew he played hockey and saw his picture too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that number eleven sort of took on uh, uh, some some significance uh, when he was. Uh, when he was yeah. found, and we can talk about that a little bit later, maybe if we want to. Yeah. Um, but so right, I, if anybody's outside the world doesn't really know, uh, um, it's it was what's well, eighty nine, and just a few years ago they finally found somebody that was right. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward to twenty fifteen. Yes. Yeah. Is yeah. Uh, when I started working on the project, I approached the. Wetterling, Jacob's parents, Patty and Jerry Wetterling. Oh, you have, okay, so you've been in contact with Jacob's family. Yeah, and that okay. was, so that was really important for me uh, to get their blessing, but also yeah. I wanted them to be a big part of the film. I wanted them uh, to be, the story told in their words to be a big part of the nice. the film. And so when I, but when I approached them in the uh, summer of 2015, uh it, it w- this was still a 26-year-old So Still a missing mystery. case. It was yes, still a mis- missing case. Yep, a missing okay. person's case, open open case. Um, and it the the way the timing kind of uh, came together was really, really uh, crazy coincidence. But yeah. I finally got, um, I, you know, we had several sit-downs to talk about the vision for the film and build trust. And, and they gave me the sort of the final green light uh, in uh, October of 2015. And That's then, nice. Yeah. yeah. And then one week later, we were just about to start filming, and I got the call that there was this news breaking, and it was that uh, they had arrested someone. And this was the, big, the biggest break in the case in uh, all those years. They, I mean, yeah. they had followed up on suspects, prior to that and they had persons of interest on the radar and in the you know early 90s when the case was still somewhat fresh there was a lot i mean they they a lot of law enforcement chasing down leads all over the country trying to figure out what happened to jacob and um but you know nothing quite as big as as this had ever happened and so we were filming that weekend when they arrested uh, a guy named danny heinrich danny yes and um 
I mean, we could talk a little bit in detail if we want about uh, sort of his the 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 legal case uh, behind him because he he didn't um, he wasn't arrested for Jacob's uh, disappearance. He was, no, there's another incident. Yeah, there was actually so he there were multiple, two multiple. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there were two uh, cases that um, he he was named a, a person of interest for, uh, and those were Jacob's disappearance, but also there was a another kid named Jared Shiro back in 1989 who had been abducted, assaulted, but then let go okay. a few yeah. months before Jacob. And uh, and so and they actually made a DNA match for for him. However, so he, all of a sudden they have this like hard, uh, open shut evidence against uh, Danny Heinrich for this Jared Shiro for his assault. Um, but the statute of limitations had run out, which is hard to believe, but that's the that was true oh. and so he could not be charged with that crime in in 2015 uh, but when they served a search warrant and and um, raided his house hoping to find some something to to lead uh, to Jacob and in instead they found uh, child pornography uh, with uh, several other victims yeah um, and it's old you know, right um, and then that kind of led them to Okay, they can charge him. They can hold on to him. Right. So that that's a federal crime. So the uh, the the U.S. attorney was able to charge him, put him put him behind bars, uh, yeah. charge uh, charge him with ch- uh, these several counts of child pornography, and then the hope on that in late 2015 was that uh, if he and and at that point we no one re- still yeah. knew. I mean, we, they had this like promising person in custody, but they did not. Still, we did not know if this is the guy that took Jacob and whatever happened to Jacob. And so they, um, but the hope was that if this is the guy, that they would be able to use the, the accounts, the, the, um, the child pornography, um, the, you know, the likely, um, sentence he would receive in federal prison as leverage to get him to confess. Um, would some of the process of interrogating uh, Danny Heinrich be in the documentary? Good question. Yeah. All that stuff is very secret. Uh, that okay. all happens behind closed doors. So no. Um, the good news is, is that we get to talk to people who, you know, some of the pro- the prosecutors. In fact, we interviewed okay. the U.S. attorney. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. For the document, you got that kind of an angle, right? Yep, yep. And uh, Jacob's parents also have talked a little bit about the, that that um, period of time when they finally got um, they got him to confess, and in in uh, September of 2016, the the other bombshell news broke was that after ten month period of having Danny Heinrich in custody, in custody, he, they he, finally reached a plea deal. He agreed to uh, confess to both Jared and Jacob's uh, assaults uh, and lead the um, lead investigators to Jacob's remains. Uh, and he, and they, and so in September of 2016, they, that indeed occurred. Um, he had been, Jacob had been buried in a field in Painesville and not just a like nondescript. What was at in 2016 is not, and is now like a cattle ranch. Yeah. Um, I, you know, back in 1989 when he, or 90, I think he, cause he actually, exhumed Jacob a year after the murder and moved him. So um, so yeah. if anybody wasn't familiar, we believe that once he was abducted, Jacob didn't 
live very long after the abduction. Right. So that's the other yeah. crazy thing that happened in September of 2016 is not only did uh, Heinrich lead them to the remains, uh, Jacob's yeah. remains. So finally, we knew that Jacob, you know, had been murdered. Um, they also he all he then appeared in court. And part of the plea deal was that he had to give a detailed account of his the crimes against Jared and Jacob. And so it was and then again, like I, I've actually it's funny because were, I, you, were you able to be in the courtroom for yeah, that? Yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. wonderful. They, they um, well, wonderful that you got that part. Well, not not wonderful to well, hear it. Right. I didn't. Is the thing is that um, okay. federal you cannot bring a recording device into a federal court. OK, I OK, I completely yeah. forgot about that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So and and um, and so I've actually said to some people that if there was um I mean, the movie would be. Um, I mean, I st- of course I really believe in this film. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really great film. But um, I've al- I've always sort of fantasized about like like the taking it up another level. Like how how much more um, powerful it might have been. You know, you kind of you imagine like how much more uh, powerful yeah. it might have been if you'd been able to been in the courtroom for that and for some other things that have occurred in the in courtrooms. Um, so, but there, so th- what happened, you know, not, not, uh, recorded, but yeah, but somehow be a, somehow like be maybe in the lobby and just kind of, yeah. And we were there, we, okay. we were there for the very emotional. So at least you, I, that's what I was kind of trying to get. At least you had some kind of presence and not, oh, yeah, we okay. were there, we okay. were there and, and the, the very emotional press conference that occurred afterwards, we have all that. And, um, and actually my producer, Nora Shapiro was in the overflow flow courtroom for the confession so she actually witnessed it through you know the closed caption or a yeah, closed circuit the clo- they put it on a monitor in the other room so yeah. you can people so, and on. she was actually live texting me this and and so this dramatic he gave this dramatic um uh recounting of the cr- that night of the crime and it's got some really hard to hear details about what had ha- happened to jacob he you know confesses to yeah. you know, pit- choosing jacob telling his brother to run away putting Jacob in the car, driving him uh, a little ways away and um, assault, sexually assaulting Jacob. Uh, he gets spooked and he, uh, Danny Heinrich gets spooked and he describes in his confession about how he uh, then, he is, gets spooked. I think he hears um, a police. Right, if I remember the account. a police scanner thought, in his car. I, yeah, so and I he think thought, he, he's like, I'm turning, he thought I heard cops, I'm turning right and he thought that'll be the road and. Yeah. Exactly. He they, he thought there were police that were going to be driving by soon, yeah. and so he got spooked and he shot Jacob, and uh, and that's how the murder occurred. And there's, I mean, actually, even more like kind of gripping detail about how that all occurred. But um, it's also very hard to listen to. So um, I don't know how much detail we're going to go into some of that in the film, okay. but we certainly are going to talk about the night of the crime, the the decades long mystery. Um, but, and, and how, how the, the case eventually got, how they authorities finally sort of started zeroing in on Danny Heinrich. Right. I, I don't want to even interject, but this is somebody that's been on their radar the entire time, right? There's been other search warrants. Um, in fact, they, I think they used search warrants on Danny's house in previous years and found nothing. And this is like the the last one. This is the last time they actually caught him with some stuff. So right, yes, he has been. On, he's always he always been on the radar. He had been on their radar. He although he fell off the radar for decades. Really, I mean, he right. was he was brought in early on 
um, interviewed by, by the FBI um, in just in the, I think it was like five or six weeks after Jacob's abduction. And so, um, I mean, there's a mugshot of him from back then that looks, um, when you look at up against the, like the artist's rendering of, of the, of Jared's, um, description of his, of his, uh, assailant. And you look at the, the mugshot and the artist rendering now, you know, now that we know it was him. <laughs> yes. It's like, wow, look, yeah. look at the, the now resemblance. See, yeah. Um, so they, uh, so we, in the film, we, we talk about how, um, they eventually came circling back and, and focusing okay. on Heinrich again. Um, and there's some interesting sort of, uh, unexpected heroes in that part of the story. And we're also really interested in, um, just the impact that, Jacob's story has had and you know, we talked earlier about sort of this cultural shift in parenting so we'll talk a little bit about that in the documentary in the okay. documentary but we also um, there's been um, a lot so one thing we haven't talked about yet is that uh, in the wake of the disappearance in the 90s uh, Jacob's parents especially his mom Patty became she became a public figure and a very vocal advocate for uh, changes in the law giving uh, law enforcement, other different tools that may yeah, yes, yeah. help prevent this kind of stuff in the future. Um, there was a uh, a law signed in uh, uh, into law by uh, President Bill Clinton in the 90s that has um, Jacob's name on it. It's the Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children Act. And that created the National Sex Offender database which now you know we kind of take that for granted you know you hear there's stories. so much we take for granted we got amber alerts our phones mm-hmm. uh, we, we we had recently one in our area and i was in a school and it's amazing the amber alert went off and everybody's phone popped you know and so it, it would be kind of you know you play guessing games but would have that now if jacob was around this this amber alert and all these notifications and highway, you know, you go on a ride this in the highway and you see all these things and watch out for this license plate and all that stuff. So that's true. Yeah. We have so much in our tools nowadays. And some of that is some of the tools in the toolbox now are because Jacob's parents, uh, made it their mission. They channeled their, 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 um, you know, terrible. Well, one of the, I think the unique things about yeah. this case is it, it's still very extremely rare is stranger abductions are still, which this is a stranger abduction, but it's extremely rare. Yeah. It's very rare. And, um, I mean, it still happens and, they, and right. when it happens, it usually makes big news. I mean, we had yeah. the J- Jamie Kloss uh, story just recently, which was like from just but, next door yeah. in Wisconsin, yeah. which was, you know, sort of one of those, like it's it, the reason it ca- captures the, the imagination and gets all the news coverage is because yeah. it's so rare and horrible. Um, and that was sort of the case with Jacob's story. Um, but, and then what Jacob's parents did and they, they formed what is now the Jacob Wetterling resource center and Patty has worked uh, for a long time with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and so organi- organizations like that yeah. are, you know, they are they're out there doing what they can to to lend assistance to families who have had gone through that rare case of stranger abduction. But they also provide a lot of services for folks who are who are dealing with the way more common, um, you know, a, a child who's missing or has uh, been assaulted 
um, has put, been endangered by an acquaintance or a family member. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely put the links up for the, all those websites for people to find because they're, yeah. they're wonderful resources for um, even for not only that, but there's been a lot of children out there who don't know they've been abandoned and they don't know where to find people and stuff like that. So there's a wonderful, great outlets just on that research out for the website alone for different ideas. So not even just for missing children, people, children who have been found and want answers and how they can connect as well. Yeah. And the cool thing about the work that uh, the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center does is they're, and this is, you know, one thing Patty uh, Wetterling has talked about for all these years is talking about prevention of, of uh, assault uh, endangerment of kids, exploitation of children. And um, there's things that anyone who's a parent or has kids in their lives or yeah. you know, is an education like yourself, that they, um, anybody who uh, just is, and it's almost all of us. I mean, maybe we're just neighbors to children. Like there's a lot of really good resources on, on the website to, to, to have, um, to start conversations. And that's a big message in this, in in the, I believe that will come out of the film is the this idea that some of these conversations are hard to have, uh, right? Yeah, it, but I mean they're important. It, it's a hard. I, we love to talk films. I love to keep it up, beat tempo. But a lot of sometimes we'd have to do films that are kind of hard to digest, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's certainly this this way. I mean, and you know, we're we're really hoping to um, focus. And I know the Patty and Jerry Wetterling, Jacob's parents, are really big on. You know, they want to keep their focus on hopeful messages and and all the like the good work that's been done in Jacob's name. Um, and so uh, there's and, and, and all the families who are going through similar things that have been helped by the Jacob Wetterling Research Center. So there's a lot of like, of course, there's a lot of darkness in the story, but um, we're we're determined to find the cracks of light and let them shine through. Nice. Right. I think, well, that's a nice way to. Um, are you still filming? Yes. Um, okay. Right now, I mean, we've been filming for three and a half years. Um, okay. A lot of the film, a lot when the film is finished, which it's not, it's not edited yet at all. Sure. That, that was, that's okay. That's what. <laughs> that's where the fundraising comes in. But yeah. um, we are uh, when the film is edited, I believe that. Uh, that 10 month period between the arrest and the um, confession is probably going to sort of form a, maybe sort of an arc to follow in addition to, you know, sort of flashing back to those decades of, of uncertainty and mystery. Um, And then we, then after the, after the 2016 confession, we all knew what happened to Jacob. We also continued to film with the family and other people uh, close to the story to sort of see the aftermath and you know because yeah. every, everything shifted people's identities shifted you know you you're a you're a parent of a missing child and then all of a sudden you're a parent of a murdered child and that's very different and they um and so there's a lot that sort of sort of a slow burn of of stuff that occurred after so there's a little bit of evolution to this whole thing right, right. you're not stagnated on just a, a slice of it you're trying to do the whole scope of it we're, we're trying you know, we're yeah. trying and, and, and right now we're looking at it as a 90 minute film and and that's a lot to pack into 90 minutes so that's one of the challenges ahead i do a lot of there gonna be a lot of interviews in them Yes. So, okay. um yeah and i didn't quite finish answering your question i guess that so we've been filming um you know a lot of flying the wall stuff over sure. those years yep. um and and then of course there's been a ton of interviews we've interviewed uh jacob's parents several times 
and uh, a lot, there's a lot of uh, interesting people that were um, involved in the side people, right? Yeah, keeping mm-hmm. keeping the you know the the hunt for answers alive. Um, mm-hmm. People within law enforcement, but there's also some interesting people that were just sort of citizen journalists and yeah. interested uh, parties that that uh, that you know you might say didn't have a stake in the story, but but by uh, asserting themselves, they eventually became sort of secondary characters, important people, and so um, there's so we yes, it's it's definitely we've got tons of. Uh, interviews. We've got tons of archival materials. There's a because okay. this story was covered so much in the media, especially local Twin Cities uh, media, but also there's a bu- there was a bunch of national coverage too. Um, we got tons of archival stuff too. So it's going to be a pretty good mix of archival yeah. materials, uh, sort of fly on the wall documentary footage that we've shot over the last few years, and then all these interviews. Did you have some kind of like a second unit crew with you, or are you primarily doing the whole core, one group core kind of a thing? Yeah, so I am a, a director of photography too. Okay. Um, so yeah, on this film, I am serving as the director and the DP. Um, what happens a lot when you do independent filmmakers, you got you to do more than one job. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's kind of how I ended up you know asked me 10 years ago i never would have called myself a dp but kind of had to learn on the <laughs> job gotta, for yeah. for uh, better or worse for all these years and now i feel like i'm i can you know i felt confident hiring myself <laughs> <laughs> right so i um uh, yeah so i i'm i've been the the primary camera okay. uh, for most o- almost everything um but i can't say everything because i have had several shooters that have helped me out um we uh on i've been the the main shooter on uh all the interviews but one there i had uh my oh. friend jeremy wilker who came uh, another local uh twin cities filmmaker he actually ran the camera for for my like master main big interview with uh patty wetterling um during that that uh period of time between the arrest and confession so that's sort of like our our one of our main assets um in our raw footage is this long um, kind of uh, emotional uh, interview yeah. with Patty uh, and Jeremy ran the camera for that one, so I could focus on <laughs> qu- right. asking yeah. questions. Yeah, um, and uh, you so know, if I, I have to look at the camera. Hold on a minute. Yeah, no, you don't need to do anything. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, so and there, there's been several other um, wherever I can, I like to have a, a second camera, uh, even that's, when it's yeah. And that's what's trying to follow so. up is usually documentaries. You you know with the expenses, you only work with one camera, but it looks like somehow docking with you yet you're able to operate more than one. Yeah, yeah, and, and usually I've got um, you know I have a colleague who um, well I'll just have as I guess you could say it's sort of second unit or B camera. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, in second unit in cases where we've got to be in more than one room covering yeah. an event, which that's occurred a few times, uh, but also or just having a B camera, like just having a, a second angle on things, you know, uh, covering different things happening in one room. Um, and so I, I have a colleague named Erica Tickner, who is um, one of my close collaborators, and okay. she's been um, sort of right right, now, right alongside me for a lot of this um uh, a lot of this production and so there's yeah there's a lot of footage uh, yeah yeah uh, from from multiple cameras on a lot of these so i, I was gonna i'm gonna take a break here in a couple of minutes but i was gonna ask you what was the whole catalyst for you what was the i mean obviously it's a very 
point your story, but what was, uh, I want to do that story. What, what was it for you? Well, yeah, so I was, uh, I just, I, I realized recently that when I've been doing this press, I've been saying that I was 14 when it happened, but I, mm. I like looked, <laughs> cracked open my, my, uh, calendar one more time, uh, in the, the calendar in my head. And I, I realized I've been misspeaking okay. a, a lot lately that was actually, I had just turned 15 when Jacob was abducted. Okay. And, uh, and I remember, um, watching the nightly news. Um, usually it was channel 11 here in yeah. Minneapolis. I, uh, almost every night I'd be watching the 10 o'clock news with my mom. And, uh, and I just, the story was like all, you know, it was just blanket coverage of the story when Jacob was first abducted. And then, you know, probably for the first, you know, three months, it was always on the news. Right. Um, Top story. Yeah. Well, big, of yeah, course. Story, yeah. Like whatever happened to the kid? Are there new leads? Are there? And, um, and eventually, uh, even though there was no resolution to it, uh, you know, eventually it started to fall away and not be in the news so much anymore. But then every, every so often some new, uh, lead or something would come up, whether it yeah. was law enforcement finding it or, or someone in the media thinking they were uncovering something new, uh, the story would pop up again. Um, and, uh, and then every, like every year when that October 22nd rolled around, the yep. news would cover it again. Like, Oh, it's been six years. Where's Jacob? And yeah, they do those anniversaries and that's, yeah. you know, 99, we had 10 years and then 2009, we had 30 years and then 20, yeah. We're yep. finally, I think everybody re resolved to the fact that, okay, it was just not going to, nothing's going to materialize. Everybody except the Wetterlings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mo they, the Wetterlings were holding on hope all those, all those years. So, um, for me, I was, I don't, I think it was part of the re part of the reason I felt so connected to it from a distance connected to Jacob's story all, you know, all throughout my right, teen yeah. years yeah. and, and yeah. into my adulthood. Um, and then I, you know, I have kids now too. So once you become a parent and those, some of those like stranger danger, scary well, the, like, things, the little, those, to, all those little triggers in your mind and anxieties of, okay. Yeah. yeah that stuff, you know, becomes, you know, it kind of takes on a different, um, gravity when you, when you have kids of your own. And, um, so Jacob's story always sort of stuck with me. Um, I, I had identified with Jacob because, you know, what we were talking about before, how like that was yeah. my childhood too, riding up to the store and <laughs> yeah. he, he yeah. and I, you know, I look at him and he, we had a very similar, we had similar interests. We were into sports and, and running around the neighborhood with our friends. And I mean, that was my childhood too. So I really identified with, um, with Jacob. And, um, so then, you know, when, and then the spark that sort of got me thinking about making a film was that yeah. in tw in uh, in 2014 was the 25th year anniversary, and um, several parties, including uh, Jacob's parents, pushed uh, to sort of take a new look at the case. And part yep. of that effort was a billboard campaign in Stearns County, where where St. Joseph. No, I is. don't know about this. They put a a billboard campaign to where. We're still, yeah. So. Yeah. So this is uh, at that point, it's twenty-five year mark. Nobody that you know, you could say the case had kind of gone cold for, for you know, maybe some some people in yeah. law enforcement and 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 it and people had sort of gotten gotten complacent about oh well this you know we we'll probably never find out what happened right uh, yeah a lot of people believe that and so uh, there was this push like let's remind people that this kid is out there and uh, and this is not this is an unresolved. Uh, case 
And so they um, put up billboards all around Stearns County with the words still missing. And then they had the picture of Jacob as a kid. And then uh, the, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children does has a department that creates those age progression yeah. images. So, you, yeah. I mean, probably everyone's probably familiar. You'll If someone's been missing for a long time, they'll have that second, the image of the kid when they were missing. And then, and then the, what they might look like. What they might look like now. Yeah. And so there was a age progression image of Jacob um, on those billboards too. And I remember seeing news coverage of the billboard campaign and that's yeah. sort of what sparked my interest said, well, you know, maybe somebody should make a documentary film about this. Right. The whole problem, it looks like the, the origin of it, the documentary is let's keep everybody, him in our consciousness. Let's not, because that's when he, I think everybody, when it goes away, when people forget about it, that's, we want to keep it, the idea, keep going, let's keep him still in our consciousness, a reminder that it's, it's not, we should not go away. Right. And that's, I mean, there are, that it's it's hard to hard to sort of put myself back in that mindset. Yeah. Now that now it, now that we know everything, we know what happened to Jacob and all the dramatic stuff that happened in the in recent years. But right. yeah, I mean, when when I first was hatching the idea and and when I was first pitching it to the Wetterling family, that I guess that was sort of part of my motivation was thinking that you know if we make a documentary film about this and pose some questions about. Um, what what might have happened to Jacob? Yeah. Um, that, you know, not only would we be showing like all the good work that's been done in his honor, which is still a big um, motivation for the for the film. Uh, but back then we were saying we were always saying, well, we want to show like Jacob Jacob's um, even though we don't know what happened to Jacob. He's got has this legacy, this positive legacy of all this good work that's been done. But we all you know, part of part of somewhere in my head, I know there must have been me thinking um I mean, you know, I, I actually think maybe it was even more explicit than that because I remember okay. some conversations with people saying, um, well, one of the, you know, one of the reasons this film should be made right now is that, you know, we can, it, you know, having a film and if it's relatively successful, people uh, get an, enough eyeballs on it that it will keep the, you know, Jacob's story and his face in in the consciousness of mm -hmm. people um, keep, keep it in the public eye and that that could potentially lead to, um, some, you know, keep keeping it public and, and out there that that could lead to some answers possibly. Um, and so that, I guess that was, you know, a sliver of, of the motivation for me making the film when I started. And of course, then right yeah. as you're starting to roll. Starting and right, and then all of a sudden everything changes. Um, we'll definitely have the links in the meta if anyone wants to research, but Definitely give the audio if people want to contribute to the documentary. How would they go find? How would they go about it? Yeah, so um, we are in the process of raising money to uh, edit the film. Yeah, um, and it's like a lot of independent films. Like thus far, it's been blood, sweat, and tears. But now is when the expenses start to pile up. So um, we're uh, hoping to raise some money. We, we've actually been uh, on. In, doing this fundraising campaign with uh, several, we've been trying lots of different ways to raise money and it's been pretty successful so far, but Good. we're still, yeah. we're still a long way to our goal. And um, so if folks listening out there uh, are, you know, you, if you're listening to this, you're probably a, a film fan. So hopefully that might motivate you. But also if you're, um, if you're one of those 
people who like me who was really touched by Jacob's story over the years yeah. and would like to see it get um, like a proper long form uh, treatment, which is what we're trying to do. Um, you can uh, give, give online there. I, the The official website for our uh, film is jacobwetterlingfilm.com. Yes. And we'll okay. have that in the show notes or whatever. Definitely. Yep. Um, but, uh, and, and you, you can find everything you need to donate there, but it's also the, the easiest, quickest, easiest way to contribute is uh, through our GoFundMe campaign. Okay, uh, so you have a GoFundMe campaign yeah, started. Yeah, we're doing okay. a GoFundMe campaign, which we, you know, we've had. It's been great. We've had a lot of, we're like two hundred sixty-seven uh, backers so far. I think that's outstanding. And yeah. um, we're getting there, but we still got a, a long way to go. Uh, the GoFundMe is uh, you can find it on the website, but if you wanted the direct link, it's GoFundMe.com/slash Jacob Film, and that's okay. the easy, quickest, easiest way for people to contribute. I know somewhere out there is that you know, I know you've got your your listeners. There's probably lots of uh, millionaires and billionaires in the audience. Right? There has to be some, right? <laughs> there has to be, has to be one of them. Yeah, the odds are it has to be somebody. Yeah, it would be great to have an angel donor come swoop in and get us to our goal. Yeah. Um, so there is also a, t- a tax deductible option which you can find um, on our website. Well, that should be even more motivation. All right, we're going to take a little break. Um, uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the film with uh, Chris Newberry. Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. Okay, we're back with Chris, um, talking about the documentary he's making about the Jacob Buttering case. Um, I have to ask you, as a documentary filmmaker, do you always have an ending in mind, or when you work, do you work up to an ending? Do you, you know what I'm kind of asking? It's, it's kind of tough, especially when you're a documentary. Yeah, I definitely, um, I mean, I guess on this, I mean, a documentary film can be so many different things and the yeah. process behind one. Yeah. Um, but I guess I would probably, on the spectrum, I would probably fall a little bit in the loosey-goosey range of... Well, you have to be as a documentary, right? You, you, you yeah, and, so, and certainly if you're following an active story that's unfolding yeah. in front of you, which, you know, it turned out we were. Um, although right, it's not like it'd be Ken Burns where you're just going to do lots of research and right. <laughs> photograph, yeah. Right, so... Um, I guess I would fall in that in that range of sort of following the story where it takes us while we're while we're in production. Yeah. Um, and then the way I've learned I like to work uh, is to get into the editing room with with the editor. Okay. Uh, ha- start the process of of editing the film. 
and before we get to that stage, I, you know, there will be outlining and I have done a lot of outlining. All right. That would answer my next question is you got to write some kind of where you want to go with this. I understand. Yeah, exactly. I have an outline of how I feel like, and of course, inevitably it will change once you get at, you start actually putting the pieces together in the editing room, but starting with an outline, um, and, uh, but once the editing process is underway, I like to then go out and film and, uh, fill in the holes. So, uh, odds are as we're editing this, I'm going to be out in the field also, yeah. uh, f- continuing to film things. Um, and, I'll, and what we're filming will, will be, uh, be dictated in, in large part by, um, you know, how yeah. w- it'll be informed by the editing process. So, uh, for instance, the editor will say, well, we really need uh, an atmospheric shot of Stearns County right here. Uh, can you go out and make that happen? Um, or uh, even more importantly, there'll be things, narrative things, uh, right. you know, things that, you know, we, wow, I really wish we had a character saying this or talking about this topic but like documentaries you only can do what you have right right and that's why i like to keep the options open so that we can go and if if there's a hole we need to fill in um to go and interview so i've got this sort of short list of people that i haven't (laughs) interviewed yet yeah and i'm holding off on them because i know especially some local journalists who have covered the story because i know that they'll be really good uh resources when it comes to uh, filling in, there may be like a critical part of the story that we just need someone to, to state a fact, but we don't have a good, um, you know, because a lot of the stuff we've done so far is about the emotional impact of the thing. Yeah. And um, of course, we have archival news footage where you may be able to use that to state a fact like and then in in t- 2010, they dug up the farm of the neighbor. Um, but there may be a better way of telling that as opposed to having some news coverage, some old archival news coverage. And, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to interview somebody and they'll be able, and, and they'll be able to fill in those holes. Um, and there will, I'm sure there'll be thematic and emotional elements of the story too, that we don't have yet. And I'll probably be bugging the Wetterlings (laughs) longer than I should, but I'll probably have to go back and say, Hey, you know, you never talked about how much this impacted this part of your life. And it's seeming like that would be, you know, an important part of this story. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, um, so (laughs) this is a long way of answering your question about the ending. Um, I do have an idea of how it, it, the film should end. And, um, some of that is sort of in some of the editing process. I mean, this is true of writing a script too, the narrative it's, well, like you, you reverse engineering your story, you like yeah. you in an ideal world, you know how it ends as you're in the process of crafting the story, yeah. and then you're sort of working toward that. And I well, I, I, I remember um, Billy Freakin before he became a Hollywood director. He, he did documentaries, and a lot of his movies did actually look like documentaries. But he always said, "I don't know what I have until I start editing." Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure it's kind of a misleading question, but you really don't know what I mean, obviously, you know, your story, but you really don't know what all you have until you start putting it all the the things together. Right. That's really where it's especially in a film like this, where you are following a story where it leads you and you're just capturing tons and tons of raw footage. And you plus in this case, I have all these like hundreds of hours of archival material and we don't still know 
or we've forgotten that we got that really great moment in an interview three years ago and we don't know that we have in our stack of tapes that there's yeah. this um, awesome moment in the archives that um, really would be appropriate for this moment. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of where the magic happens is when you're when you're trying to craft, craft yeah. all these hundreds of hours of stuff and cram it down and tell a compelling story in 90 minutes. Is it what? got you into doing documentaries if i can ask a little personally about yourself what got you to start making documentaries because i know you've done one prior to this jacob one you did one uh i can't remember the title of it uh, the representative oh. uh, yes i worked on um time for ilhan with da- time for, okay yes yeah, so i was producer and dp for that so that was okay. you know uh, nora and i who collaborate together a lot nora shapiro yeah. she directed that film She's producing the Wetterling film. We've worked a lot on each other's projects. Um, so that was our most recent uh, project and and easily the most successful thing I've ever been a part yeah. of. Um, it's called Time for... Time for Ilhan. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Actually, anyone out there can find it on Amazon Prime, think, yeah, iTunes, it? Google Play. It's I think it's there. readily available for the people to watch. Yeah, and it's like, I've already seen it. It's a great documentary. Because oh, uh, I think you guys were filming it, and you didn't know what the end result was going to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the crazy thing is that we were – so, that, you know, that the campaign, uh, Elon's Her, campaign that we followed, Yeah, um, it was not – now she's very, very much a, like a – I think everybody knows her now. Everybody knows her now. (laughs) But at the time, she was completely unknown. She had never, this was her first political campaign. It's not her campaign uh, for U.S. House, which now she's in the U.S. House. It was her campaign prior to that um, where she was elected to the Minnesota House. Um, And it was kind of a contentious uh, back and forth race against an incumbent, a long term incumbent. And it was, crazy story but we were that was all unfolding that was the 2016 election yeah. cycle and uh so um actually that year 2016 was a really intense year for nora and i because we were following these two breaking stories at the same time and i was uh, just gonna say 2016 right I, I, yeah. yeah so that's that's the year when we you know the when heinrich had been arrested and we were waiting hopefully I mean, we didn't know but we eventually it was going to end in a confession in September right. of that year. Meanwhile, there, you know, we're following this political <laughs> campaign that's going to end in November of that year. Um, so that was a really intense year. Um, <laughs> yes, gosh, yes, yeah, yeah. So, what, what makes you got into documentaries? Obviously, you know, you like making films, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my my uh, long long term background is uh, right. in narrative film. I uh, right. when I I. I, I studied in undergrad. I studied uh, computer science was my degree, but sure. I um, actually fell in love with hanging out with the, the film students and eventually started working on films in during college to the detriment of my grades. <laughs> it does have right once you get a new hobby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so then um, after that, I spent the next roughly ten years making. I was making short narrative films. Um, yeah, well, I that's want- healthy to get started that way instead of starting with a full feature. Get just yeah, I mean, with the short. right when I graduated, I thought I was going to go out, run, jump out of the gate, and make a <laughs> make a two two million dollar independent <laughs> narrative feature. And of course, I learned the hard way that that wasn't going to happen right away. And so, uh, so you know, while I was so I was you know 
paying my bills with a yeah. day job and making short films on the side. And uh, those films are all very pretty, pretty different from what I do now. Eventually, I um, I met up with uh, someone who uh, became a really important mentor to me, and that's Melody Gilbert. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with her or, I mean, she would be no. a good person on the podcast sometime. But She sounds like it, yeah. She yeah, So she's sort of, some of us sort of refer to her as the godmother of documentary in Minnesota. In, in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah she's, uh, she's very prolific. She's been making uh, documentaries in, in, um, in, in, she's been based in the Twin Cities for the most part of the last uh, 15 years, although she has lived in other places. Um, and anyway, she's been making a lot of really interesting uh, films and not only making films, but she also is as just a natural uh, nurturer. Like she, she uh, is an educator. She teaches filmmaking, but she also uh, does these um, informal. Uh, well, I guess it's not informal. She she does these boot boot camps, these weekend okay. long things at film. What is now Film North? She's done those for years, and um, that's a how a lot of us who are now sort of the documentary film gang and the Twin Cities, and it's not like we're a gang. I mean, there's no, like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. We're right. not like all like go all there. In some ways, we are like uh, you know connected with each other. But there's a lot of us who all started out um, taking one of Melody's boot camps at Film North and uh, and learning you know in a weekend like how do you make a documentary, and so that's um, meeting up with Melody and and taking her boot camp, and then being becoming involved with her yeah. docu club, which is a uh, monthly uh, meetup of doc of documentary filmmakers here in, in the Twin Cities. Um, that's sort of where I caught the bug to make documentaries. Okay. Um, and and then I I just started making Sorry. my own. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. That's kind of where it started. Do you watch other documentaries? Yeah, I do. You know, it's it's funny. I um I sometimes feel guilty that I don't watch enough films. Uh, you know, it's a it's a question I always ask documentaries because some of them I just don't have the time, right? I, I know they're out there and I support them, but sometimes I just, you know, I got my own focus and where I'm going to get my own stuff done, but they don't have the time to consume other stuff. Yeah, right. And I mean, th I mean, I definitely watch way more documentaries than um, the average American. Um, but you know, if there, there, I know that there's really serious, uh, documentary cinephiles out there that are way more versed in the genre than I am. But, um, I definitely watch enough to feel like I yeah. <laughs> feel confident to make one. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's a lot of things you can learn from, you know, narrative and documentary can, can have, it, they sort of have this, uh, uh, relationship with each other. Yep. They can, I mean, of course there's places where they meet and there's like hybrid documentaries, pseudo documentaries, uh, faux documentaries. Um, but yeah, we're kind of this era where there's you know, all these hybrids, right? Yeah, yeah. Fake documentaries and yeah. yeah. And, and, but there's also just a, a pure narrative film and, a and a, or a pure documentary. They can, you know, there's a lot, you, a lot of storyteller can learn from watching either one. And, and I've definitely been one of those, I've been a, person who's watched you know who's been into movies my whole life and yeah. we're, we're in this uh period now where it's so easy of course it's kind of sad because it means we don't watch movies in the in the theater as much as we used to but um i mean you, you we have access to all this awesome uh, you know when we're talking about this i was talking about this with um andrew hunt if i could bring it up here this is mm -hmm. uh, but he was talking about how um, he kind of misses that these in this new generation don't have video stores and the reason is you're committed 
to picking this movie out. Nowadays, if you don't like something in the first five minutes, you just turn it off and throw it away and out of the next thing. But you go to the video store, it's a, a gallant effort. You went to the movie, you picked this out, and you're going to wait to the finish end to complete the whole thing and watch it because you have a you have a money interest investment to finish the whole thing, right. which we don't have that. Nowadays, we watch 20 minutes of it and we're like, ah, I'm yeah. done with it. Or something. Yeah. Maybe I'm kind of old school because um, I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people are like this, where you mm -hmm. like, even if you're sitting at home and you haven't paid for it for this movie, of course, you paid for your Netflix subscription, but right. like, even if you're 20 minutes in, I feel like I'm one of those people that's like, I'm I got to push on through, even though this is right. terrible. <laughs> right. I, I'm still kind of the one I, I very rarely will stop a movie in the mid yeah. to just finish it out. Yeah. But it does, it does, uh, I mean, it's, it is too bad and sort of like what you and Andrew were talking about, but, um, in a way is it, in a way it's also empowering, uh, that we do feel like we can, you know, if, if something sucks, we can just turn it off. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, and I do do that more now. I feel like, uh, but the, we are living in a time where you like have access to all these amazing things. So we do, I mean, it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of movies that I wish I would have saw in my twenties and now I could just pull them off five minutes after recording and watch it over again. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah. I do watch a lot of, um, and I think this is part of the reason I do this is because I've been working on this Wetterling film. Yeah. Um, but I have watched, um, I've tried to watch almost every, um, true crime documentary I can get my hands on. And yeah. nowadays a lot of that means, um, a Netflix, uh, limited series or a HBO limited right. series. And, um, and so I, I catch, I, I try and catch as many of those as I can. And so I feel like, and, and I am, it's not just because I'm working on this Wetterling film. I, I, uh, I am a fan of the genre, although I feel like when I, um, be, I, maybe this happens with a lot of filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, I, because I'm working in that genre, you want to um, watch them what other people are kind of doing too. You right? want, and and you start to like poke holes in other people's work, even though they're like you know famous professionals right. doing stuff that with you know a million dollar, four million dollar budget. Well, or yeah, I get it. Yeah, you stick with one genre. You, you stick with some kind of format or a genre. Yeah, and then you want to like, well, what are other people doing in that as well? Yeah, yeah. and what we're and now now it's you know it's been a long journey of trying to kind of like figure out the identity of this film. But um, I am uh, I've come around to embracing the, the idea that we are doing something sort of different yeah. uh, with true crime. It's it's uh, it definitely it, it gets the film will always be categorized as true crime. But um, I believe that it we're what we're doing is focusing on some things that most most of the true crime. Right. The one thing I have against true crime is the sensationalism of it. Right. They wanted to sell you the sensation rather than actually this is a real event. This really did happen. And there really were victims into this rather than selling, you know, this ice cold killers and stuff like that. It just doesn't really gravitate me, even though I do like crime and mystery novels and stuff like that. The sensationalism of it just kind of just pulls me back a little bit. Yeah. It took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I and, and that's why we want to. Um, Part you know in part because we've been working with and so closely and getting to know the Wetterlings, that you know we're really um, I I feel like there is this story uh, at the heart of the Wetterling film that uh, either isn't there in some of the other true crime stuff being done or hasn't been explored in those Excellent. in those projects okay, yeah and that's like this human impact uh, this human toll it can take 
and um and and how a person like is resilient a, a victim or a victim's family is resilient and like choo- has to ha- kind of has that moment where they have to choose yeah. to walk toward the light or kind of be consumed by the darkness if i can get a little cheesy they um and and in the wetterlings certainly embody that like to channeling their their grief the positivity and their sorrow let's, into let's, something you, good yeah let's turn this into a positive yeah. and use it as a tool to help yeah. people um, my last documentary question for you, and it's a kind of a tough one. I don't think a lot of people ask is how are you going to me- sound score this? How are you going to use sound for this? Uh, you could use music. Oh, good. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I, yeah, I totally geek out on the, on the, all those aspects of, of putting the, putting the film together. Well, um, I think that because, uh, to, because of documentaries, the, the funny thing is Martin Scott says, he goes, what he made his documentary, the last waltz? He goes, I didn't have to worry about music. It was a concert. So I just had to, <laughs> <laughs> that was the easy part. For, that's why I wanted to do it. Right? That's a great quote. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, have you thought about it though? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, um, I do have a, I have a sort of a tone that's in my mind that I can't, I mean, eventually I'm going to have to right, <laughs> think gonna sit s- down with a composer and sound designer and I'm going to have to articulate it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm quite there yet to be able to articulate it, but, yeah. um, and it goes to that question of how the film fits in the Right. The it's a very important ingredient to how you want yeah. the tone to go. Yeah. And I do think that, um, there's, uh, I, there's suspense now, you know, the, I didn't know there was going to be suspense when I started this, but there is a lot of, there are a lot of suspenseful aspects of how things unfolded while we were filming and um and of course then there's you're talking about all these like really quiet uh intimate moments with the the family um and so i do think that there's going even though there's all this stuff to pack into 90 minutes i'm a big believer to let some things breathe and that's um and and sound sound design and music is a big part of that and um you know how do you feel do you do you if you're letting a, a scene breathe if you're yeah. letting like a moment have its moment, do you, um, from from a filmmaking standpoint, are, do you let it just be pure silence? And sometimes right. that's the right answer. Or do you like have just a, you know, in the true crime genre, there's no shortage of just like sort of the the drone, like yeah, something like that, or, or right? Some or a string, high string, you know, holding a moment. Um, and I do think that there's. Um, I mean, there that that sort of stuff. I have sort of a picture in my head, or a sound picture. Sound picture. I got. <laughs> it. I got picture it. in my head. Got it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if I can totally articulate it. But I do think that it's going to be um, an important element to to getting yeah. the tone right in this film. And um, and I think that tone is something you can totally screw up. I mean, I actually think that's one of the things that has turned me off about some of the true crime series I've seen recently on streaming services and stuff. Is that that it's um, the you know the tone you know uh, you mm-hmm. know it seems like maybe it was a little the, the making of the thing was a little rushed and they didn't like have the they didn't give the they didn't let artistry take over and so um i hope that we're going to be in that position where we have enough time uh yeah. behind the scenes to get the tone right and um so that's sort of an indirect way of answering your question, but I do uh, I do believe it's a very important element. I'm, all I want to know if it was on your consciousness mind, because sometimes, well, there's a lot of documentaries that don't. They just present an interview with style, and that's it. So there's just so many avenues you can go with documentaries that, yeah, that's sound is very important, and some people think it's just kind of hard, and they don't want to even play with that area. So it's, it, that's so crucial. And it's, I think it's a crucial ingredient. 
ingredient especially. Yeah. Totally. Um, Chris, man, thanks for coming. This sure. Was, this was great. Sure. Can I make it one more a plug? I know we talked yeah. about it right before the break. Well, we have plenty but, of time for it. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, if anybody's out there, uh, anybody out there is is a, a film fan or was touched by the Wetterling story or, you know, just wants to see, help, wants to help help us get this film to the next stage. Yes. It would be awesome. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. You know what we've had when we've been doing this fundraiser is we've had, I've had a $5 donation. And GoFundMe, and I've had a ten thousand dollar donation. So it's like, and and you know, yeah. in some ways, of course, I was super psyched when I got the ten thousand dollar donation. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. But um, in some ways, the five dollar donation was like almost just as touching because it was like somebody out there who was like, man, uh, the Jacob Wetterling story means something to me. This is cool that they're making a documentary about it. I like that they're working with the family. It's not an exploitation thing. Yeah. Um, and so, and they were, but they were like, I, all I can afford is five bucks. And they took the trouble to go on the GoFundMe and, and, uh, donate five bucks. So any, you know, anybody out there is like, man, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have, have a whole lot. How can I make a difference? Just every little bit helps. So if you're, you know, if you're hearing me now and, you you like to help us get the the film made? Uh, you know, it'd be I'd be grateful for anybody to check yeah. us out and donate. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thanks for coming, Chris. Um, good luck with the movie and the documentary, um, the Jacob Puddling story. I think you're gonna have a, a wide range of interest into it, just on the subject. And um, I like to say congratulations on it too. And even though you're st- still making it, it's uh, it's a dangerous subject, isn't it? Because a lot of people have different perspectives coming into. It before you even see it so yeah i mean that's something we didn't even go into but uh it's crazy like once you start taking on a story that is familiar to a lot of people there's a lot of people out there that don't have um a direct connection to the wetterlings or the the case but have an opinion about it and um or a personal connection that yeah right and i've heard i've heard from a lot of people that um you know, and some of them maybe you, <laughs> some people you kind of might yeah. have to hide on social media, those types of people. Yeah. But um, it's crazy that a story about a, a murdered child can be controversial. But um, like, it, you know, about how may, how you are going to, what elements are you going to include in this documentary? Are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about that? Right. The choices are like, what? Are, how do we? Right. Yeah. There's been a lot of people that have already chimed in, uh, un, unsolicited. Uh, <laughs> And I like to hear from people. Don't get yeah. me wrong. If you guys, if people out there, you know, want to tell their story, like how Jacob's story can uh, touch them, um, please yeah. contact us through the website. I love to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I am saying that it is kind of crazy how many, yeah. <laughs> how many people have come out of the woodwork with yeah. um, sort of um, unusual, uh, yes, uh, contributions to the conversation. That was wonderful the phrase. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Chris. Um, and, uh, I like to say to all my guests, um, and end the show, uh, it's not over to the guest says it's over. It's over. Yeah.